0: With that, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 1 as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of John. Ready? Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, the first thing I notice in those two verses is that it begins that as Jesus passed by, what's sort of fascinating about that is that if you take a look at the previous verse, the last verse of John chapter eight, it says that Jesus escaped from the temple area when the religious leaders wanted to stone him to death. Friends, they had the rocks in their hands and were cranking up to start making the throws. And it says that Jesus just passed by in the midst of them and escaped. And so John is very deliberately linking together, at least in the theme, if not in chronology, these two events. Jesus passed by his enemies. He walks out of the temple area and then he passed by a man who was born blind. You know what I think is wonderful about this? Jesus almost was stoned to death just a few moments before this. He had a heated debate with his adversaries, with the religious leaders. He walks out of there. Would, would you think it's strange if Jesus walked out of there and said, could you guys just please leave me alone for a couple hours? I need to unwind. But immediately as he walks out, he sees a man and has compassion on him because he's born blind. You know, there's something so wonderful about the giving, loving nature of Jesus. Jesus that when any of us would be so exhausted by what we give out, that we would just say, and I don't mean this as a a condemnation, it's just natural. We would say, give me a break, give me a break. I need a break. Jesus' love and care are inexhaustible. And they're there for you today. So anyway, as Jesus passes by, you notice what happens here. Verse two, the disciples ask a question. And what's the question? Rabbi, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's a couple things to notice there. The first thing to notice is that the disciples immediately believed that that man's condition of blindness from birth was caused by particular sin. They didn't know if it was a particular sin on his behalf or on his parents' behalf, but that's why they asked the question. But here's the second part that I find very fascinating. They looked at the man and they saw a fascinating theological question. It's as if they look at the man born blind who's begging and they stroke their chins and they say, now my, this is an interesting question, isn't it? Well, we were just discussing it the other day uh, around coffee together as disciples. What is the origin of evil? And how do such things come in the world? And what is the cause of them? This is a very interesting theological problem, Jesus. Would you like to weigh in on it as well? They saw it as a fascinating theological question. Jesus saw it as a man in need who needed help. What a difference between the two, isn't it? And we're going to see how Jesus comes and he says, no, I want to show you something different. I'm going to show you another way. I'm not going to dwell on the theological puzzle. I'm going to actually help the man. Friends, we would do better in this world if we focused less on trying to crack theological nuts and if we focus more on just serving the bread of life to hungry people. That's what Jesus was gonna do. So Jesus says, no, that's the focus, not merely talking about his problem. But secondly, notice this, Jesus is going to address the entire premise they had that this man's problem was due to particular sin. You see, among the Jewish people at that time, it was commonly believed that suffering, and for some reason, especially blindness, was due to particular sin. One rabbi said it like this, He said, there is no death without sin and there is no suffering without iniquity. In other words, are you suffering in your life? Well, then where's the sin? That's how they thought, or at least many of the Jews of Jesus' time. And so the disciples were asking these questions that really are some of these big, significant theological questions that people have. You know, why do bad things happen? Why do people suffer? And, and, and they're trying to point at these questions. Jesus is going to answer them, but not particularly in the way that they expect. But friends, these are some serious questions, aren't they? Have you ever thought about it? That we come into the world causing pain. If not, just ask your mom. Maybe you had one of those pain-free births, but most people don't. We come into this world causing pain, and we feel pain as soon as we're born. What's the first sound we make? It's a scream. It's a cry. That's the first sound we make. To be human is to know pain in some regard. It may not match the pain that this man had of suffering from blindness from birth, but every one of us has our own story of hardship, of pain or difficulty. And sometimes we just got to stand back and say, God, why? What's going on with this? Well, look at Jesus as he begins to answer in verse three. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. If you notice, in verse 3, the first thing that Jesus wanted to do was to correct their misunderstanding in presumption, in believing that it had to be particular sin that caused the man sin. So Jesus says right off, neither this man nor his parents sinned. No, it wasn't due to a particular sin in the man's parents. It wasn't due to a particular sin in the man as if he could sin prenatally. I don't even know how you would do that, but apparently they thought maybe it was a possibility. No, that wasn't the case at all, Jesus points out. Look, I have to speak with you very honestly on this point. We do know that it's possible for a child to be afflicted by a parent's sin. That is possible. Some of you lived through that. Just to use the case of somebody being born blind, it is possible for a child to be born blind because of the venereal disease that the mother has. This is a possibility. But this was not the situation in the case at hand. In the case that Jesus spoke of here, and if we could say far more often in the human condition, That that things like birth defects and tragedies that nobody was looking for but just came upon a person, they're not due to specific sin in anybody's life. They're just due to the fact that we live in a fallen world. That we have inherited from our first father, Adam, a sinful condition and when the principle of death and chaos was introduced in this world, it had effects that Adam could never conceive of, but come down to us in the present day. The sin of Adam set the principles of death and its associated destruction in the world. We've had to deal with it ever since. Now that might sound pretty depressing, but let me give you the good news. Here's the truth if I could present it like this. We live in a fallen world that is on its way to being a redeemed world. That's how God has engineered our present world. Our world is fallen. There's no doubt about it. We see it and experience it all the time. Nevertheless, don't lose sight of the fact that God is moving every day in history towards that ultimate goal of a redeemed world. Don't lose sight of it. Now, you and I may object. You may say, God, it would have been way better if you would have never let the world fall to begin with. We should have just stayed perfect and never had sin, never had death, never had destruction. That would have been way better. Well, listen, I I appreciate your opinion on that, but it really doesn't matter, does it? Because God's in control of these things and not us. And I think it's much better for us, even though it is difficult sometimes, painfully difficult, it's better for us to humbly bow our knee before God and say, God, I will accept your greater wisdom. That if it is better For the world to be fallen now, but lead to a redeemed world. If a redeemed world is greater than a world that never experienced the fall, then Lord, I'll leave that up to your wisdom and I'll get with your plan right now. But friends, don't miss the good truth that even in the fallen world, God works the redemption right now. In other words, he sends forth bursts and gifts and aspects of that ultimate redemption into the world right here and now. He he heals people right here and now. Not everybody, but he heals people right in the here and now and we can experience that as God gives it out. Let let me explain it to you this way. Um, Does anybody think there will be in heaven people who remain blind? I don't think so in heaven everybody can see god will bring that ultimate redemption in the world to come but you want to know the good news is that sometimes in this present world god sends that gift from the world to come right here right now so we believe and we see it god heals people today god does great things in our midst today we can't command it we don't always know why he would do it here and not do it there we don't know but we are so grateful that again and again and again, he sends forth sort of these bursts, these message, these shining lights of his ultimate redemption into the world today. The, the bottom line of it is this. If you really want to see an unfallen world, you're only going to gain it in Jesus. You, you need to get right with him now, today. D- don't think that you're going to reject Jesus and push him away and then have anything to do with an unfallen world, no. No. This is for those who gain it through Jesus now. So the first thing he did was he corrected his disciples. But then notice what he says next in verse three. It's a notable phrase. He says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, speaking to this man's specific situation, Jesus told them that even his blindness was in the plan of God so that the works of God should be revealed in him. Friends, I think of it, I think of all the times that that little blind boy asked his mother, mom, why am I blind? Why can the other kids see and I can't? And I wonder if the mother ever felt like she had a good answer. But Jesus explained it. He says this, it's because God wants to work and to move even in this and through this. Jesus pointed the question away from the why and he put the question on the idea, what can God do in this? And what God can do is he can show himself mighty in the condition of a man who's born blind. Now, I don't mean to spoil the story, but you know how God's going to do it in this specific man? He's going to heal him of his blindness. In just a few verses down the way, this man is going to regain his sight. That was this man's specific case. But God may reveal his works in other lives in different ways. He may do it like this. Someone who remains blind, but God gives them a joy and an endurance and a faith in their life that is undeniably the work of God in them. And people see it and take note. Are you going to say one's the work of God and one isn't? Have you ever heard of this dear woman, Joni Erickson Tata? If you haven't, you should look her up. I'm sure there's tons of videos on the internet and teachings you can get. Joni Erikson Tata is a precious woman who in her teens had a diving accident and became a virtual quadriplegic. She has very little use of her arms. So that's about it. That's all she can do. And for decades, she has lived a life Honoring to God and being used of him and loving him and glorifying him through the pain and through the difficulty of her physical condition. Now, is somebody going to say that God's works are not manifest in Johnny Erickson Tata? No way. You look at her in her life, you go, God, you've done an amazing work there. God may do an amazing work in granting endurance and joy in the midst of the difficulty. He may grant an amazing work and show an amazing work by delivering the person from the affliction. But either way, God's interest is working in the affliction. And that's why Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. God still works in this fallen world. It's things he wants to accomplish. They're things he wants to do and he hasn't given up on the world. So what happens next? We'll take a look at it, verse six. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Friends, you understand what I just read to you? Jesus sets off to heal the man. What does he do? Spits on the ground. Bends down, I suppose kneads it into some clay, puts it on the guy's eyes. And you guys just acted like it was a normal thing. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Yo, know, how about if we started doing that when people come up on the prayer team here? Doesn't matter what your problem is, you know. I've got an uncle, he needs to be saved. Here, let me spit, put, put it in your eyes. Can we just agree that's a very strange thing that Jesus did? Now, it wasn't so strange in those days. In the ancient world, they actually believed that the saliva of a person, especially an important person, may have medicinal powers. So it was a little more culturally relevant back then, but it was still weird. It's weird to put mud in somebody's eyeballs no matter what the culture is. But that's what Jesus did. He actually spat, made clay, stuck it in the guy's eyes, and we just ask Jesus, why are you doing this? I think Jesus is looking at at least two things here, two things. Number one, do you remember what God did when he created Adam? What did he make Adam out of? The dust of the ground. And it's almost as if this, Jesus says, I'm the creator, and now I'm doing a work of recreation in this man. This man has never seen before. I'm going to create sight in him just as I created the first man, Adam. I think there's a little bit of that there. But I think that the greater thing at work here is Jesus just simply saying, I like to mix it up. I'm not going to do my healings the same way every time. I don't want to act like Jesus got bored with the ways that he did healings. That's not it. But deliberately, Jesus did it different. Sometimes Jesus healed from a distance with just a word. Other times Jesus came and laid hands on an afflicted person. Sometimes Jesus rebuked the disease and it went away. Other times Jesus did strange things like spitting. Sometimes he did things like here, putting mud in a person's eye that was made out of spit. I think Jesus deliberately did this so that nobody would latch onto a method of his healing. Oh, I know how he does it. It's a magic word. No, forget the words. Matter of fact, Jesus never even tells the guy that he's healed here. He never even says it. All he did is put mud in his eyes and then we'll see what he did to him next verse. But notice, Jesus was very careful that people wouldn't establish a method from the way that he did these things. Friends, I think there's a very important principle at work here. The principle is simply this, is that God works differently in different lives. You understand that? I, I imagine a little get-together of people that Jesus healed. Uh, There's the leper that he healed with a touch. There's a man that he healed with a word. There's somebody else that he healed with spit. There's somebody else that he healed by casting or rebuking a demon. They say, oh, I know how Jesus heals. He has to rebuke a demon. The other guy says, are you crazy? He healed me just by speaking a word. Another guy says, you healed me? He has to touch you to heal you. And then the guy says, no, 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 I know how he has to do it. He has to put mud in your eyes. That's how he heals you. Which one of them is right? Friends, they're all right. But God has a different work to do in individual lives. Now, his goal is the same. Do you know what God's goal is in your life? To conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. Every day when you wake up, God's plan for your life is to make you a little bit more like Jesus that day. That's it. Now, the way that he works in and through that in your life and in my life to accomplish that, look, it may differ from life to life. The great goal is the same, but God has all different sorts of tools in his toolbox and he can use those tools separately as he will. And you and I, we need to be okay with that. We cannot demand from God, you better work in my life just as you worked in the life of that other person. Or Lord, you better work in their life just as you worked in mine. We got to give God the freedom and the liberty. Not that he doesn't have it, but we need to accept it that he has it to do that kind of work. All right, continuing on, verse seven. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, I don't think Jesus had to tell the guy to wash his eyes. I think he was going to do that whether Jesus told him or not. There's mud in his eyes. But what Jesus told him to do was go to a specific place to do it. Now, Jesus had just come out of the temple area. We don't know exactly how far away he was from the Pool of Siloam. It depends on where he came out of the temple. At least a quarter mile to a half mile, the guy had to walk, dock down steps, walk down streets. He had to go to a specific place to have his eyes washed. It wasn't like at the industrial thing where they have the little eye wash thing that you can just turn on and rinse out your eyes if there's an accident. No, he had to go to a specific place and then do that in faith. He had to have the faith that Jesus told me to do it and therefore that's why I'm going to do it and that's what he did. So he went and washed. Friends, you understand that even though Jesus did the work, the man had to respond in faith. And I wonder, I wonder how many of your lives God is working right now. He's waiting for you to have a greater response in faith. If you say, yes, Lord, I see what you're doing. I see what you're working. I want to believe and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And look at the great result of it. Verse 7, he came back seeing. What a strange thing it must have been for that man to come up from the pool of Siloam and for the first time to open his eyes and see light and colors and shapes and textures and human faces and everything else. I mean, he must have been absolutely excited, just giddy beyond belief. Everything seemed completely new. Now, you know what's funny about it? Nothing was new in the world around him, but he was new. He had experienced something new. He was a completely different man in the same world that he ever lived in before. The light of the world had come on in his life. Let's continue on. Let's see what the reaction is from this verse eight. Therefore, the neighbors and those previously who'd seen that it was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others says, he is like him. He said, I am he. Don't you love this little discussion? They look at this guy and they go, hey, um, isn't that the blind guy? No, 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 it can't be the blind guy. He can see. That's funny because he's dressed just like the blind guy was this morning. And he sounds just like the blind guy. And he even looks just like the blind guy. Yeah, that must be the blind guy. No, it's not the blind guy. This guy can see. They couldn't believe the transforming work that Jesus did in his life. So much so that the guy had to say, look at it there in verse nine, he said, I am he. Look, it's really me. I am the blind guy. I got to change my business cards from the blind guy to the guy formerly known as blind. <laughs> but there's something powerful here, folks. Sometimes it's hard for people to believe the changes that God does in our life. And can I say, I don't blame them. If you've got, I say this especially to somebody who's a young believer here today. If you've got someone in your life going, yeah, I want to see this Jesus thing really work in your life. Can I just say, don't be discouraged by it and don't despise it. They kind of have a right to say, yeah, let's see how this works. If it really is the work of God, it's going to be shown in your life, isn't it? Don't despise them for having that attitude. They want to see if it's real in your life. Maybe before in your life, a lot of things have come and gone and they want to see if this stays in your life. Don't be mad. Just say, I know who I am. You can say right along with the blind guy, I am he. I know who I am. You may not know who I am yet, but I'm going to keep showing you by the way I live for Jesus Christ and you're going to see that I truly am a different person in him. Verse 10. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. You know what's wonderful about this? Think of how little the man knew about Jesus. I know there's a man named Jesus. He did something to me, and I did what he told me to do. I washed my eyes, and now I'm a changed man. With that small beginning, this man's was was profoundly changed by the power of Jesus. You know, um, the beginning of somebody's life with God can be that simple, that elementary. You don't have to know a whole system of theology. You don't have to memorize a book of the Bible. You, you, you don't have to pass a moral test before you come into the kingdom of God. It can be that easy to begin with. This is what I know. I know a man named Jesus, and he did something to me, and I did what he said, and now I have new life. That's how simple it can be. You know, if that's you, don't despise that. Those are the first steps to being a believer. And if you keep walking after the Lord, step after step, place after place, you just wait to see what God's going to develop in your life. But friends, it can begin that simple, that easy. It doesn't have to be a whole theological treatise or philosophical exam. No, I know a man named Jesus. He did something to me. I responded to what he did in faith and obedience. And now look, my life has changed. It can be that simple. That's how it was for this man. Matter of fact, this man never even saw Jesus until later in the story. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. If you were to put Jesus, is that Jesus? I don't know, I never saw the guy before. I was blind when he spoke to me. He'll meet up with Jesus later and we'll get into that. Verse 13, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Okay, if we're making a movie of this, the music goes dun-dun-dun-dun in the background. It was a Sabbath. The Pharisees, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now notice this verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Jesus deliberately did it on a Sabbath. Jesus could have said, hey man, see so you're in this condition. I'll come back and catch you tomorrow. He didn't do it. He healed the man right then and there. And according to the religious regulations, not according to the law of God, but according to religious regulations, Jesus broke the Sabbath. Do you know how Jesus broke the Sabbath? Jesus broke the Sabbath because he was guilty of needing. What do I mean? Needing? Needing? K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, like kneading bread. When Jesus took about a thimbleful of spit, by the way, just saying, does anybody know what a thimble is anymore? Are you under 20 and do you know what a thimble is either? Okay, Jesus took about a thimbleful of spit, put it on the ground, made a little bit of clay, and they said, it's like he's kneading bread. Friends, if that's your definition of work on the Sabbath, you just gotta get over it. You gotta get over that. But they said, that makes Jesus guilty. He's a Sabbath breaker. We gotta get him. And the rest of this chapter is gonna be concerned with how they feel. They have to get Jesus. But friends, can you see the thing at issue here? The, the, the blind man told them in verse 15, he put clay on my eyes and I washed, I see. To the Pharisees, the big news was he broke the Sabbath. To the blind man, the big news was I can see. Pretty big contrast there, isn't it? They were not excited at all that a man who was blind from birth now could see. All they were interested in was their petty and non-biblical rules and regulations. Friends, it's a sad, sad thing. It's a very sad thing. We can miss what God has done and is doing Because we put so much emphasis on man-made rules and regulations that we don't see and celebrate the work of God. I think it's profoundly sad with these Pharisees. They had something that they should have been super happy about. It didn't impact them at all because all they could see was their own list of rules and regulations and Jesus violated that. So they go, well, we got to nail him. He's a Sabbath breaker. Friends, don't miss out on that. Ask God to give you eyes to see the good things that he's doing all over the place, to see his hand at work. And God will show you if you ask him to do that. All right, let's take a look at the last verse here, verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. Notice that verse 16 There was a division among them. They divided into two different camps. Some of them rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus because they said, well, he broke the Sabbath. He must not be the Messiah. We reject Jesus. The other group of them said, you know what? Maybe, maybe our understanding of the Sabbath traditions is wrong. And maybe this guy really is from God. Friends, there was a lot more evidence for the second proposition. But they wanted to align themselves with those who rejected, and it seemed like there was just a few who accepted. I don't know why I made this side of the room the rejecters. I want you to know, first service, I made this side of the room the rejecters. I'm I'm trying to give equal opportunity on both sides of the room. But this is the point of it. There was a division among them, and most of them, most of them rejected Jesus. Because in the rest of the chapter, that's all you hear from is those who rejected him. They rejected Jesus despite the evidence, not because of it. All the evidence before them said, look at this amazing man who put mud on a man's eyes and he washed and he's healed. There's something here. We're a little messed up in our understanding of the Sabbath. Look at what this man did. That's what a logical pursuit of the evidence would have led them to say, but they didn't want to say it. Friends, I'll just leave you with this one last principle. When you want to reject Jesus, any excuse will do. It's true, isn't it? These guys didn't have good reason for rejecting Jesus. But if you want to reject Jesus, if you want to put off a true surrender of your life to Jesus Christ, it's amazing how many excuses you can think of. And any one of them will do. Any one of them will. Friends, it's time for you and I to say, when the camps are divided between those who accept and those who reject, those who submit to Jesus and those who resist him, we want to be fully on the side of those who submit and surrender to him completely. And we're not going to make excuses for it anymore. Because really, any excuse will do when you want to reject Jesus. Father, that's my prayer for your people here. I pray, God, that you would draw us each into this place of a genuine surrender before you. Lord, I think there may be some lives here this morning that have never done that. Lord, won't you prompt them to do it? But won't you prompt them just to say, okay, God, I give up. Stop making excuses. Jesus, you are who you say you are. And I want to come to a man named Jesus, and Jesus, do something to me, and I'll respond in obedience, and then begin your work in me. But Jesus, maybe some of us, we, we know you, but Lord, there's just, there's just some tangible aspect of surrender that's lacking. Lord, I pray that you'd move in those lives as well. As Jesus, we, we want to be on board with what you're doing to bring your redemption to this fallen world. Help us to do it, Lord. I, I pray that you'd have your hand upon the prayer team. As they... Um, Seek to pray and connect and minister unto people who have their own individual needs and in whom you have worked this morning. Do your work in our midst, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.